Today on the Matt Walsh Show, the Marine Corps hires a chief diversity officer as it moves towards its goal of creating a more diverse, equitable, and tolerant force. That's the way they're selling it anyway, but today we'll talk about what that really means. Also, Kamala Harris is upset that she doesn't have enough to do as vice president, and now her team is apparently accusing Joe Biden's team of racism. Who could have possibly seen that coming? Plus, a Michigan school is forced to shut down because a large number of staff members have an adverse reaction to the COVID booster. That's pretty inconvenient. And as we discussed on Friday, a college professor is on a campaign to destigmatize pedophiles. The college has responded to the outrage, and Britney Spears is free. Should we celebrate? Should we care at all? We'll talk about that and so much more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Now, a quick word from Moink. Listen, stop arguing with your friends about politics and do something. Join the Moink movement and save the family farm. Well, that's what it says on the copy, but really, I think you can still argue about politics because I enjoy that too much. We can do both. Why can't we do both? With Moink, you get the highest quality meat you've ever tasted while supporting real family farms at the same time. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and wild-caught Alaskan salmon directly to your door, helping family farms become financially independent outside of big agriculture. Their animals are raised outdoors, their fish swim wild in the ocean, and Moink meat is free of antibiotics, hormones, sugar, and all the other junk you find in prepackaged uh, stuff that you buy in the meat aisle at the grocery store. Don't bother with that. Get a Moink box today. Sign up at moinkbox.com Walsh to get a year of ground beef for free. And then pick what meats you want delivered with your first box. Change what you, what you, uh, what you get each month and cancel anytime. Moink was founded by an eighth-generation farmer who was featured on Shark Tank, and the guys in Shark Tank loved it. Um, I love it as well. That's what really matters here. So join the Moink movement today. Go to moinkbox.com slash Walsh right now, and listen. And listeners to this show get free ground beef for a year. That's one year of the best ground beef you'll ever taste, but for a limited time. Spelled M-O-I-N-K box.com slash Walsh. That's moinkbox.com slash Walsh. The Washington Post reports that China is currently in the process of modernizing and diversifying its fleet of nuclear warheads. The Defense Department now expects that China's arsenal will have quadrupled within the next decade. By 2030, the communist nation should have more than 1,000 nuclear warheads. Among them will be a certain number of hypersonic orbital missiles, which can circle the globe without being detected. And of course, that's not new technology, and China still will have fewer nuclear nuclear weapons than we do. I mean, enough to destroy the entire planet, so probably that's sufficient. Uh, But we'll still have more. The point, though, is that they seem focused on strengthening their position and becoming a more formidable global force. While we have, well, other priorities. In an interview with NPR, General David Berger announced that the Marine Corps will be overhauling and reinventing itself in order to institute more diversity. Not nuclear diversity, but the type of diversity that politically correct HR representatives are worried about. Reading from Yahoo News, it says, according to Berger, Marines will work to, quote, reflect America to reflect the society we come from, adding that the decision is not one related to being woke or politically correct. Sure, whatever you say. Quote, our advantage militarily is on top of our shoulders, Berger said. It's not actually our equipment. We are better than anybody else, primarily because we don't all think exactly alike. We didn't come from the same backgrounds. Now, far be it for me to question the esteemed general. Um, I didn't serve in the military. I never fought in any war. I admit that. Even so, I'm skeptical that any military engagement has ever been won due to a due to, you know, diversity of ethnic backgrounds among the victors. Can anybody point me to an example from military history of a battle that was won um, because of diversity? 
I'm trying to imagine back, say, during the Normandy invasion, a group of soldiers pinned down, taking heavy enemy fire. One of them shouts, we need someone with a diverse ethnic background over here. Stat! It's hard for me to picture that. You know, I, I, I can't see why that would have specifically helped. But the Marines are all in on their diversity plan anyway. In fact, as Fox News reports, they're paying big bucks to make this happen. Quote uh, from the report, a job listing with the U.S. Marine Corps seeking a diversity, equity, and inclusion advisor with a starting salary of $144,000 is gaining attention on social media. The USMC is hiring the advisor to ensure that, quote, all internal and external communications reflect diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI and to develop tools that enable shifting the USMC cultural paradigm for diversity, equity, and inclusion. The DEI advisor will work in collaboration with the chief diversity officer and the diversity review board, the listing states. Um, uh, Duties include the assessment of diversity and inclusion program effectiveness, design and lead implementation of process improvement initiatives, and provide executive level consultation. I don't know what any of that means as well as the development and administering of training and education guidance to the CDO. Uh, it says, quote, you will drive strategic management concepts and principles, including assisting with the development of Marine Corps policy, supporting the USMC's mission, vision, values, strategic goals, and objectives, according to the listing. Now, needless to say, $144,000 a year is significantly more than any of the men out actually doing the fighting are getting paid. So risk your life for your country and get paid about the same as, I don't know, Papa John's ship's shift supervisor or less. But sit behind a desk developing equity and inclusion strategies. And, you know, that's where the big bucks are made. At any rate, if you want more information on our military's diversity plans, you'll be happy to know that you can go to the Marine Corps Association website and download their full diversity, equity and inclusion plan as written by Lieutenant General David Adignan and Brigadier General Jason Woodworth. Here you'll find details about what this uh, chief diversity officer will do. And you can learn about the formation of the aforementioned diversity review board, which the Marines will be using as they strive to achieve their diversity goals. And this is not just about racial diversity, of course, as they explain, quote, today's Marine Corps is 58% white and 42% minority from 2010 to 2020, enlisted diversity grew from 33% to over 45%, and our officer diversity grew from 16% to 34%. Female diversity continues to climb each year and is currently over 9%. These are signs that we are making positive progress, but much but much work remains to be done to retain and promote a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive force across all ranks. Now, again, we must ask the question from before. In the whole history of military conflict, across the entire globe. Has there ever been a battle won because one side was more inclusive and equitable than the other? I I don't think so. In fact, battles have been won with the exact opposite approach. Rather than diversity, militaries have always valued cohesiveness, uniformity. That's why units march in formation. That's why we call them units. It's why they literally wear things called uniforms. Individuality has never been emphasized. Instead, it's been subordinated ruthlessly sometimes to the needs of the unit, the group, the whole. As for inclusiveness and equity, our military was a formidable fighting force, a two-time world champion, because it set standards for itself that excluded those who were unfit, those who couldn't hack it. 
The military has never been a democracy. It's never been a place for individual expression. It has never been a beacon of tolerance or equality. The military is a hierarchy. All militaries are hierarchies. There is no equality or equity in a hierarchy. There can't be. There's never been a democratic military. There's never been a tolerant military. There's never been anything like what they are currently turning it into right now. So once again, we see that the left's project is to demolish, deconstruct, and fundamentally rebuild and redefine everything. Every American institution, every organization, every tradition, every word, every idea. Terms like politically correct and woke don't really even begin to capture what's actually happening in our country and what these people intend to do to it. One other point worth reiterating. It's important when we engage with these ideas like diversity and inclusion that we don't make the mistake of accepting the premise that the left actually wants diversity and inclusion. I mean, that would be bad enough if that is what they wanted. Diversity and inclusion are terrible goals in and of themselves, especially for a military, but really for any institution. Diversity and inclusion should never be the priority. And if they were the real priorities here, there there would be plenty to criticize about that. But we should also keep in mind that all of these words, diversity, inclusion, equity, tolerance, et cetera, they are all code for get rid of white males. I mean, that's, that's really what this is about. After all, when they talk about increasing the percentages of some demographics, um, you know, demographics that are not white and male, what that means is reducing the percentage of white males. Just basic math there. The goal of the military right now is not just to get more black people and women involved. Because if the participation rates of blacks and women grew and the participation of white males grew at the same time and at the same rate, you wouldn't see an increase in the former group in terms of percentage. But they're talking about percentage, which means that the military very specifically wants to drive white males out. So they they frame it in a positive way. Oh, we want a greater percentage of this group. But they could just as easily say, we want fewer of this group. We want fewer of those types. And, you know, the very group that's done most of the fighting and dying for this country, the military wants them gone. Thank you for your service. Now get out. This point is often made pretty explicit when the topic of diversity comes up. Take, for instance, this conversation on MSNBC over the weekend about, now this isn't diversity in the military. This is diversity in the trucking industry. And they've made it very clear what it's uh, what they're really concerned about. Listen, you hear I have to tell you, my brother is a truck driver um, and he drives across the country. And it's very uh, nerve wracking to me uh, when he's on the road, um, because uh, it's just it feels like a dangerous industry. But you're trying to disrupt that and bring more people who look like us to the industry. Tell us why. Yes, ma'am. First of all, thank you for having me this morning. And yes, we are. And we say we're not building truck drivers, but safe CMB operators, folks that can get back to their home whenever they're done with their ship. That's the most important part, ma'am. Well, how can the industry be more welcoming? Because I have to tell you, I talked to a lot of truck drivers and uh, preparing for this segment. And um, most of these truck drivers are people of color. And they talked about, um, you know, hearing some of the racism um, over the CB. Um, you know, this is, again, an industry populated um, by a lot of white men over the age of 55. Um, this group of people overwhelmingly voted for Trump. Um, some people have talked about, you know, aggressive truck drivers uh, cutting them off or not being helpful. 
people. Um, so obviously, the more populated it is with people of color, I think you'll see less of that. But how can you encourage people to come and disrupt this space when it seems a bit unwelcoming? Well, I think just what you're doing, getting uh, myself as a black female out there and letting people know I drove for almost eight years and yes, ran into lots of racism, but however, was out there to do my job. And I think that uh, women are definitely the more we can just get the news out to them that trucking is an industry that will not only help them to get further in life, but their family and all of that and present the package to them appropriately, regardless of what anybody else has to say, they're going to be in charge they're going to be the person behind that steering wheel doing the job every single day and making it happen just out and out racism i mean we're used to it by now you picked up of course where she said uh well there's a lot of white males over 55 and people complain about um they're sometimes aggressive and rude and so obviously if we have more people of color as uh, truck drivers there, there will be less of that kind of behavior Right. Oh, yeah. Well, obviously, white people are more rude and aggressive, she says. Really? Do you have any data on that? Let me see the statistics on that. But, um, yes, this is why women haven't flocked to the trucking industry. Every day I meet another woman whose deepest desire is to be a long-haul trucker driving a big rig across the country, spending her nights sleeping in the cab in the back of a Walmart parking lot, showering in gas stations. Now, this is what they most fervently want, but they aren't doing it because the trucking industry is sexist. I mean, I, I, like I said, every day I meet another woman with that story. Don't you? What I really wanted to be was a long-haul trucker, they, they all say. My wife, too, she tells me all the time. What she always wanted as a young girl was to, you know, get, get in that truck, drive across the desert. Now, the MSNBC anchor speaks with disdain about those uh, white males over 55 who drive trucks, the ones who make sure that she has food to eat and clothes to wear. I mean, her lifestyle depends on those men, but she hates them. Rather than saying thank you, which is what you should be, that's what you're missing here. You see, a lot of people on the left never had, had, never had parents to tell them, what do you say? You say thank you. I say this with my kids all the time. You know, I hand them a snack. I hand them whatever. Uh, what do you say? Thank you. Well, to this MSNBC anchor, what do you say? You say thank you to the white males who are making your life easier, who are allowing you to live by providing all of these things to you. But rather than saying thank you, uh, she wants them. She wants them gone. She wants them jobless and homeless. That's how she feels. That's what all of this diversity and inclusion stuff is really about. It's an anti-white male conspiracy first and foremost. And in the process, it strips people of their humanity and it reduces them to statistics. A white person driving a truck is not a person, according to MSNBC. He is a faceless representative for his race, which is running a surplus. You know, the white person's supply exceeds the white person demand, at least according to the corporate media. There must be a white person clearance sale so that we can clean our shelves and restock them with more valuable racial merchandise. This is essentially how our social engineers view the problem, which is only a problem in the first place because they've decided to call it one. You know, the problem of there being a lot of white males over 55 driving trucks, it's, no, it's not a problem at all. But they've decided that it's a problem. But if we're really worried about fighting racism and inequality, then the goal should be a society where a person can 
live where they want, work where they want if they're qualified, pursue whatever opportunity they want, go to school where they want. Again, if they qualify on the merits to go to school without anyone caring about their skin color or their ethnic background. You know, in this scenario, a man would be judged on his merits alone and he would climb as far in life as those merits will take him. But that's not how our society operates because that's not what the proponents of forced diversity want. They want division, resentment, and racism. And that's what they've gotten. Now let's get to our five headlines. Well, MyPillow's been a big supporter of this show. We're very grateful for that and for the wonderful products that make it so easy to sleep at night. Uh, But MyPillow, they want to give back to our listeners even more. You can get great discounts on all MyPillow products if you go to MyPillow.com right now and click on the Radio Listener Special. Get deep discounts on MyPillow's mattress toppers, towels, and so much more. For example, MyPillow is offering a buy one, get one free offer on Giza Dream bedsheets. These are top quality sheets that you will love. And like with all the other MyPillow products, once you use those products, you're not going to want to use any others. All MyPillow products come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener special for the buy one, get one free offer on the Giza sheets and use promo code DAILYWIRE at checkout or call 800-651-1148. You'll also get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including pillows, uh, slippers, the MyPillow mattress topper, and MyPillow towel sets, all that stuff. That's MyPillow.com and enter Daily Wire or call 1-800-651-1148 and tell them Daily Wire sent you. That's 1-800-651-1148. These deals won't last forever, so get them now. Oh, man, I'm in a tough spot. It's, uh, what is it, November, what is it, November 15th? So guess where I was on Saturday? I was walking around a Christmas store looking at Christmas decorations. And uh, we were taking, and the kids were, you know, we took the kids to see Santa in mid-November. My wife's already said that the whole house is going to be decorated this week. She was threatening to do it today, actually, so I might come home and the whole house is decorated for, for Christmas. It's, of course, way too early. Uh, to be doing any of this, but it's it's my fault because I told my wife a few months ago that the twins are now at the age where, and I'm I'm trying to be uh, put this carefully and be delicate because I don't know if there's any young ears listening right now. <clears throat> but the twin, what I was saying to my wife a few months ago is that the twins are at an age where it might be time to have a difficult conversation about Santa Claus with them, and I wanted to do it right then on the spot. I told my, you know, again, I, pro- I, I probably, this was probably too sudden, but, you know, the kids were in the other room and I said this to my wife and I said, I'm, I'm going right now. This is happening. We're doing this right now. Ripping the Band-Aid off. And she, uh, she pleaded with me and she was saying, you know, uh, we, we got to give the kids one more magical Christmas, one more Christmas with Santa before we destroy their hopes and dreams forever. And so I relented, which just means that she's going to milk this Christmas for all it's worth. It's going to be Christmas on steroids. I mean, we're going to, we're going to end up doing like a world tour of mall Santas. Uh, my wife is treating this Christmas like she's on death row and this is her last meal. Except it's really Santa on death row. Death row. I mean, that's, that's what's happening. And I know, I know some of you are listening to this right now and you're saying, well, see, this is why you shouldn't do the Santa thing at all. This is why, this is why when I, my family, when I, when I have kids, we're not going to tell them about Santa. Yeah, you say that. But you don't know what it's like out there, especially if you don't have kids. Or if you have kids who are older and, and, you know, it was a long time ago, maybe you've forgotten. So you don't understand. 
There is no, the whole debate among parents about, oh, are we doing the Santa thing or not? It, it's a moot point because there is no doing Santa or not doing Santa. That choice is taken from you if you live in society. Now, if you live on a homestead somewhere, if you live in, or if you, you know, if you live in the wilderness, if you're, if you're removed from society, which is a great plan, by the way. But in that case, then, yeah, you could choose what you want to do about Santa. But if you live in, in mainstream society, you, you don't have that choice. He, he, Santa's everywhere. He, he really does see you when you're sleeping and know when you're awake. He's everywhere. The kids just pick him up on their own. And they pick him up at the same age when they believe in things like Spider-Man. You know, they think Spider-Man is real. And they think unicorns are real. And dragons and fairies and all that. So Santa exists in the same realm as all of those things. So if you really want to make sure the kids don't believe in Santa, then what you really have to do, because you're not going to be, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to encounter Santa and they're going to put him in the same category as all these other things in their imagination that they think is real. So if you want to make sure they don't do Santa, you have to take all of it away from a young age. Spider-Man, dragons, fairies, you got to take it all. If you re- so from a young age, from like the age of three, you have to say to your kids, none of it's real. This is all fake. Stop believing in this stuff. And you have to continue hammering that home. And if you don't do that, then your kids are just going to believe it. And that's the way it goes. Until you get to a point where it's like, okay, now it's a little bit too old. And uh, so now you really have, because the other things like dragons and fairies, they'll kind of, they'll grow out of that on their own. But they'll, they'll hang on to Santa. And so that's when inevitably you have to have the conversation. All right. Kamala Harris. Let's go to uh, someone else. Kamala Harris has a, sort of a, a fictional character herself in many ways. And she has a certain way about her. Every time she's giving a speech, she sounds like she's reading from a book report where she had to stretch to hit the, to hit the word count. And if I, if I sound like I'm, I'm speaking from experience, I am. This is like me through 12 years of grade school. Every book report, any assignment, this, this is what I did. You know, and you try, you, you put in as many superfluous words as you need. You try to mess with the margins and the font a little bit, thinking that you're the first. You know, every kid thinks of that. You think you're the first one to come up. Oh, I know. I'll make it the 12.5 fonts, not a 12 font. Teacher will never see that. Um, so I did this a lot myself. And uh, Camilla Harris is, I'm not going to say she's a master at it, but she, she certainly has quite a lot of experience. So here she is giving a speech in France. And uh, let's, let's listen. We must together work together to see where we are, where we are headed, where we are going, and our vision for where we should be, but also see it as a moment, yes, to together address the challenges and to work on the opportunities. We must together work together with togetherness. And together, we must together move forward and also together go forward while we're moving forward and together make plans for the future and for what will come and for tomorrow together, all together, so that we can be together today and tomorrow and into the future together in our togetherness. That's, uh, that's kind of, that speech is, is Kamala Harris in a nutshell. And it, it also explains, I think, why uh, she's not very popular. 
because she she some she is so phony that she makes she makes Hillary Clinton seem authentic by comparison. She makes Hillary Clinton seem like a fully fleshed fleshed out sort of uh, uh, a human being by comparison, and that's why people don't like her. Um, because it, it's a, it's a, it's not even a choice really. As human beings ourselves, we don't make a decision to like someone or not like them when when we pick up on inauthenticity, phoniness. It's a visceral reaction. Um, And I guess Kamala Harris's team, they've picked up on this and nobody likes her. And so that is what led to this CNN headline over the weekend. Exasperation and dysfunction inside Kamala Harris's frustrating start as vice president. And then you go through and she's complaining a lot about how people don't like her. And I mean, off the record, her team is complaining off the record, mostly off the record. Um, People don't like her. There's not a lot for her to do. I mean, that part of it, like that's what you signed up for. That's the job is you're the vice president. That's it's it's a totally ceremonial thing. Um, You're you're about as useless as the first lady. So you'd think you'd know that going in. But then it's a whole long story um, talking about this and the and the tension between the different camps and everything. And Kamala Harris wants to be wants to be more in the spotlight than she is. Wow, big shocker there. And uh, then we get to this. This is just one part from the piece that I want to read to you. And though Harris has told confidants that she has been enjoying a good working dynamic directly with Biden, those who work f- uh, for them describe their relationship in terms of settling into an exhausted stalemate. Suspicion has sprouted out of the bitterness. Last month, White House aides leapt to the defense of Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, who was being hammered with outrage by Fox News host Tucker Carlson and like-minded online pundits for taking paternity leave after the adoption of his twins in September. Harris loyalists tell CNN they see in that yet another example of an unfair standard at play, wondering why she didn't get similar cover any of the times that she's been attacked by the right. Quote, this is a former Harris aide speaking off the record. It's hard to miss the specific energy that the White House defends brings to defend a white man, knowing that Kamala Harris has spent almost a year taking a lot of the hits that the West Wing didn't want to take themselves. <laughs> so that th- these are the first rumblings from someone in Harris's camp accusing Joe Biden of racism. Um, it was always destined to come to this. It's destined to come to this no matter what. This is why left-wing governance is is always going to be dysfunctional. One of the many reasons why it's always going to be dysfunctional, because there's always going to be, you know, the the, the various identity groups uh, uh, competing with one another, trying to climb the, the ladder to, to, to be the uber victim. I mean, that's 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 all intersectionality. That's all built in. But also, Kamala Harris. Really, her whole Democratic primary platform was accusing Joe Biden of racism. That was her whole deal. Her one moment in the sun, you know, where she went from 1% in the polls to like 2.5%, and she was, it was the Kamala Harris surge. That's when she got up there during the Democratic primary debates and accused them of being a segregationist. And then Joe Biden makes the decision to bring her into the White House, and uh, shockingly, She's now accusing him of racism. Um, and then there's bitterness, too, because, you know, Pete Buttigieg is there and, and uh, you know, he, he, he's going to want to run in 2024, assuming that Joe Biden doesn't run, which is maybe, um, I'm not sure how safe of, a, of, a, of a, an assumption that really is. I mean, would he run at the age of 82? Sure he would. 
Partly he would run because he's not going to have any idea what he's doing at that point. He hardly has any idea what he's doing now. It's, 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 I, I, I suppose what we, what we really should ask is, would Joe Biden's handlers push him to run at the age of 82? As, at that point, a full-on vegetable. Probably they will. But whether it's, um, you know, 24, 28, Pete Buttigieg is also, you know, w- w- wants to be the heir apparent. And so, again, we have this intersectionality tension between the two. Are we going to have the first woman president or the first, uh, the first gay president? What, which, it's really going to be up to the Democratic Party. Who are they going to throw their weight behind? Who's going to get the coronation? And, uh, and I, could, I think we can assume that it's going to be Buttigieg. I'm, in fact, I will put that prediction on the record right now, that I think we will have the first gay president uh, before we have the first woman president. Because that identity simply takes priority on the left. It's as simple as that. As a woman, you are, I hate to say it, if you're on the left and you're jockeying for position on the victimhood pyramid, you're pretty far down the, the, the scale. I got to say, you're pretty far down the totem pole to keep mixing uh, metaphors here. So I think, yeah, I think, I think they're going to go with Buttigieg based on the identity points. He, he, he has more identity points than Kamala Harris does, uh, sadly for her. All right, next. I really like this clip. This is a great clip. A Chinese activist, a dissident, former political prisoner, was interviewed on PBS and uh, he's been speaking out against authoritarianism in the United States. And he's been warning about authoritarianism in the United States. The interviewer, Margaret Hoover, has him on hoping that he'll talk about Donald Trump and how Donald Trump is an authoritarian. But that's not exactly how things go. Let's listen. In your book, you're describing the directives of Mao Zedong during the Cultural Revolution that would be distributed publicly every night. And then you write, this is your quote, they served a function similar to Donald Trump's late night tweets while in office. They were the direct communication of a leader's thoughts to his devoted followers, enhancing the sanctity of his authority. So do you see Donald Trump as an authoritarian? I, well, I don't, you know, he, if you are authoritarian, you have to have a system in supporting you. You cannot just be authoritarian by yourself. But uh, certainly in United States, with today's uh, condition, you can easily have an authoritarian. In many ways, you're already in the authoritarian state. You just don't know it. How so? Many things happens today in US is can be compared to cultural revolution in China. Like what? Like people trying to be unified in certain political correctness. That is very dangerous. Uh, you, gotta, you have to see the clip uh, while listening to it to really fully appreciate it because the interviewer, poor Margaret there, you can see her kind of in her eye. She's dying inside as she sees that this is not going in the direction she wanted it to go. Uh, she wants to talk about Donald Trump as the tyrannical threat, even though he's not even in office anymore. And instead, uh, this Chinese political activist dissident says it's political correctness. 
is why we live in an authoritarian state. And the reason that he gives is very insightful. Uh, no surprise that he has insight into this, given where he's, where he's coming from now um, and the experience he has. But authoritarianism, tyranny, it's all about systems. There has to be a system in place. Donald Trump never had a system in place. Whatever you, however you feel about Donald Trump as a person, um, whatever you think his own personal instincts are, he was never any kind of threat to be a, a, you know, a despotic, tyrannical dictator ruling America with an iron fist. Even if he would have liked to do that. And I don't think he would have liked to do that. I don't think that's what he was, he was all about. But he never had the system in place. The system was against him the entire time. There's no question about that. The system was trying to destroy Donald Trump the whole time that he was on ostensibly on top of it and supposed to be running it. So that was never a threat. Whatever his own instincts might have been, it was never a threat. Um, but political correctness, and as I said in the opening, you know, these are the labels, the terms that we use, political correctness, wokeness. Uh, it's kind of for lack of a better term. I don't love the terms because they, they, they tend to sort of understate the threat. But even so, th- these are the terms that we have right now so people know what we're talking about. And political correctness, leftism, wokeism, all these things wrapped together, they have the system. That's what I always say about cancel culture. There, there, there is no right-wing cancel culture. E- even if there are people on the right who would like to have one. I mean, I have something called the daily cancellation. So if I could run my own cancel culture, I would take it. But um, I don't have the system. Cancel culture is a function of the system. And that is why cancel culture is inherently a left-wing phenomenon. And it's all wrapped up with whatever you want to call political correctness, wokeness, all these things together. Um, They have the system. And so the authoritarian threat is entirely from the left. Because they have the system. And when we talk about the system, what do we mean? We mean the government, the state. We mean uh, uh, academia, media, Hollywood, corporate America, all of the most powerful institutions in the country are all on the same side. Wanting to suppress a particular point of view and particular groups of people. All right, next, what do we got here? Um, I got to play this for you. This is a local news report out of Michigan. And to be honest with you, I'm not even sure if, I don't know if, if in playing this, it means that the, this YouTube, this, is gonna be, this show will be taken off of YouTube. I don't know, but this is a news report, a local news report out of Michigan. Let's, uh, let's listen. COVID-19 pandemic weighing heavy on some mid-Michigan school districts. Some districts have had to close entirely because of outbreaks of the virus, while others only partially. As our Mark Bouillon shows us today, it was something other than COVID-19 that forced one Saginaw County school district to close their doors today. Saginaw Township Community Schools closed for today. At first, you might be thinking COVID-19 is to blame. But a district spokesperson tells me a large number of staff members had negative reactions to the COVID-19 booster they received over the weekend. Now, according to the CDC, some of the most common side effects of the Pfizer and Moderna COVID booster are pain at the injection site, fatigue, muscle pain, headache, and fever, also the chills and nausea. For the J&J booster, the CDC says fever, fatigue, and headache were some of the more common symptoms. 
Recent data from the CDC shows among 12,500 people who received a third dose of the COVID-19 vaccine, 79% reported those local reactions like pain and itching at the injection site, while 74% reported the systemic reactions like muscle pain and fatigue. Now, going back to the district, they also say what complicates the situation even more is the substitute teacher shortage, which is why the district had to completely shut down. You may remember just last week, Swan Valley schools had to close also because of a staffing shortage. In Saginaw County, Mark Bullion, ABC 12 News. Now, you do have to account for the possibility that, uh, I mean, th- these are teachers we're talking about. And w- one thing we know about teachers, and this certainly has been, this point has been underscored over the last uh, 18 months to two years. Teachers don't love working. It's not their favorite thing to do. And so they'll take advantage of any of, of any opportunity you give them to call out of work. And so you, you have to account for that. I mean, there's probably going to be a certain number of teachers who, uh, when they found out that they could get a, a couple of days paid vacation for claiming adverse reactions, they decided to, to go ahead and do that. Um, but even so, you know, unless you want to chalk all this up to that, which I wouldn't, this is a this is a school shutting down, reportedly, because of adverse reactions to the uh, COVID booster. And there have been many more, maybe not schools shutting down, but there have been many reports of people having adverse reactions to, to the booster. Those are the reports, YouTube. That's what the reports say. And so we're going to get, this is something we have to keep in mind because we are certainly going, just like Ron DeSantis warned about a few weeks ago, and he's exactly right, that we're going to get to the point very soon, and this is relevant to the Biden vax mandate that we are fighting back against uh, here at the Daily Wire. And one of the reasons why it's so important for us to fight back against it is that, um, you know, even if you're vaccinated, pretty soon you're not going to be vaccinated vaccinated anymore, at least according to the standards set by, you know, the government and uh, and different employers. We're going to get to a point pretty soon where they're going to say, well, if you got the double, if you were double vaxxed uh, a year ago or eight months ago or 10 months ago, uh, that that doesn't count anymore as being fully vaccinated. We know that the goalpost for fully vaccinated continues to shift and shift and shift and shift, and it probably will never stop shifting. So this is going to be a, a perpetually moving target where if you want to be fully vaccinated, it means you have to keep getting the booster shots. Which means potentially what they're saying is if you want to be fully vaccinated, it means every six months, potentially, you got to go and get a, a shot that might make you sick for a couple of days. And so you have to intentionally, essentially make yourself sick every six months to avoid getting this other sickness that for most people will be uh, mild to moderate or you might not have any symptoms at all. Total madness. Speaking of, of madness, a, a quick update here that I think is worth mentioning. This is from WK, uh, WTKR Local News. Old Dominion University released a statement after one of its assistant professors gave a controversial interview defending people attracted to children. I wouldn't even call it controversial. There's no controversy assumes that there's a position to be, you know, you could stake out a position on either side of it and and argue about it. There's no real controversy here. This was a professor, Alan Walker, who wanted to destigmatize pedophilia. No controversy. That is... Horrendous, disgusting, evil, 
any other adjective along those lines you want to use. No controversy there. At least there shouldn't be. Uh, but Walker is an assistant professor of sociology and criminal justice at Old Dominion University. The um, interview, as you remember, we talked about this in the opening on Friday. The interview revolved around Walker's book, a long, it's called A Long Dark Shadow, Minor Attracted People and Their Pursuit of Dignity. That's what the book is about, being interviewed by this creepy Prostasia Foundation that, again, as you remember, is an organization that is committed to destigmatizing pedophilia and doing it under the auspices of protecting children by destigmatizing uh, pedophilia. So there was outrage about this, well-deserved outrage. And finally, Old Dominion University released a statement. Here's their statement. Again, a statement about one of their professors on their payroll openly trying to destigmatize pedophilia. Here's what they have to say about it. An academic community plays a valuable role in the quest for knowledge. A vital part of this is being willing to consider scientific and other empirical data that may involve controversial issues and perspectives. Following a recent interview that gained national attention, Dr. Alan Walker has released the following statement. I want to be clear. Child sexual abuse is an inexcusable crime. As an assistant professor of sociology and criminal justice, the goal of my research is to prevent crime. My work is informed by my past experience and advocacy as a social worker counseling victims. I embarked on this research in hopes of gaining understanding of a group that previously has not been studied in order to identify ways to protect children. Following recent social media activity and direct outreach to the institution, it is important to share that Old Dominion, as a caring and inclusive community, does not endorse or promote crimes against children or any form of criminal activity. That's it. That's the study. If you're waiting for the part where there's any sort of apology or uh, if they're going to say that they're getting rid of this Alan Walker degenerate scumbag, no, that's not going to happen. No apology. The most we get is, uh, well, Old Dominion does not endorse or promote crimes against children. By the way, if you find yourself in a position where you have to say that, where you have to stipulate that you don't endorse or promote sexual crimes against children, then uh, that should tell you something. You know, that means you, 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 have, you have veered very far from the, from the, uh, from the decent path here, if, if you have to clarify that at all. But they're not going to apologize. They're not going to get rid of um, this professor. Now, if this professor had made a TikTok video, I don't know, wearing a MAGA hat or something, it'd be a totally different deal, right? There'd be an apology. There would be statements. There would be this and that. The person would be fired, put on administrative leave at least. But this goes back to what? We just heard about the, the nature of tyranny in the United States. It's all about who controls the systems. The left controls the system, and the system has no interest in force, forcefully condemning people who promote pedophilia. In fact, the system has an interest in the opposite. Because really, the system agrees with Alan Walker that all sexual choices and sexual quote-unquote lifestyles should be uh, should ultimately be destigmatized, accepted, tolerated. That's how the system feels about it. All right, let's get now to the comment section. Daily cancellations are the law and order of the day. The sweet baby gang. All right, before we get to the, uh, to the comments here from the Sweet Baby Gang, it's, um, I think this is a good opportunity to tell you that we are going to be hiring on the Matt Walsh show. This is pretty exciting. Uh, we have we, we need an intern on the show. 
basically to be my slave for, for slave labor. Um, you will not be, actually you will be paid. So it's not really a slave position at all. I was hoping that you would be, what, what I wanted was that I wanted like slave labor, but I was told that for a lot of different reasons, HR reasons, you can't really have a slave. So instead, uh, we're going to, it's going to be a paid internship position. If you want to be an intern on the, on the, uh, on the Matt Wall show, go to dailywire.com, scroll to the bottom for the intern link and fill out the application. All right. Let's go to the comments. This is from Todd says, maybe MAP could simultaneously stand for millstone attached person. Well done. Wish I had thought of that. Melanie says, been listening to you for a while now. All of the times you talk about hookup culture or topics surrounding that make me think deeply. Um, I've struggled with my impulsive habits when it comes to sex and everything you say makes the clearest sense possible. It's fun for like a second getting that super attractive guy in bed, but then afterward, when I'm inevitably left in the dust, the emptiness and pain of using and being, a, and being used will never be worth it. All of this promotion of casual sex is absolutely unfounded and delusional. I've been part of that promotion for a long time, but now I am so completely over this illusion and working hard to not fall into that void anymore. So thank you for helping me. Well, thank you for that comment, Melanie. And this is the, um, like they say with anything, right? The first, the first step is, is, I don't know, what is it? The first step is acceptance or something. Maybe no, not, acceptance is not what you want. But realizing the situation that you're in and confronting it, I think the first step is confrontation, I think. Um, because this is, this is kind of the irony of hookup culture that everybody involved in it feels basically the same way that you do, whether they can articulate those thoughts or not. And many of them can't. And that's a big part of the problem that, again, they don't have the moral language to understand their own feelings or articulate them. Um, but everyone feels the same way. Uh, no, no one is happy. Nobody can live a life like that for any length of time and feel very happy and fulfilled by it because we're human beings. And there are certain things that we need beyond just the basic physical needs. You need connection with other human beings. Companionship. I mean, these are, these are real needs. And when you're just being used as a glorified sex toy, which is what happens in hookup culture, then you're not, you're not having that deeper need fulfilled. And uh, you're start, you, you see that, and that's, um, that's a step in the right direction. All right. Savatch says, I love how South Park creators Trey Stone and Matt Parker have never been hailed as courageous or revolutionary despite them attending the 2000 Oscars in dresses while also high on acid. That took courage. Well, yeah, a lot of people bring that up whenever we have one of these guys showing up to an award show now in the year 2021 wearing a dress and feeling like they're very bold and courageous. Most recent one, who is the guy, the rapper, I forget his name now, um, did that last week. And every time that comes up, there's always people in the comments bringing up the, uh, the South Park guys who did the same thing to, I think, what was it? The, oh, it was the Oscars, okay, in 2000. But the big difference is that back then, you would have guys doing that. Uh, Dennis Rodman was the same when he was married to Carmen Electra for two seconds and he wore a wedding dress to his wedding. But the whole idea was that it was supposed to be absurd and funny, especially for the South Park guys. It was, you know, yeah, you, you've always had that, like this cross-dressing thing. And there have always been guys doing that. But very often in the past, in saner times, it, w- it was comedy. It's supposed to be funny. Made a whole movie about it. Mrs. Doubtfire with Robin Williams. 
And all of the comedy in that movie is that Robin Williams is a dad dressed up like, a, like an old woman. Isn't that hilarious? The difference now is that uh, what was once funny, we're supposed to take seriously. We're supposed to look at it without cracking a smile and applaud and say, oh, this, is, this is a very serious thing. Look at that man in that dress looking like he's wearing his sister's clothes. Very serious. Yes, so uh, let's applaud him. Um, uh, let's see. Another one says, during the cancellation, when Matt brought up the government taking care of the elderly, all, of the, all that I could think about was the horse and animal farm that was loyal. What did they do when he died? They sold him to a glue factory. Yeah, animal farm, another you know, of Orwell's books, I think animal farm. I see more of our current condition in animal farm, even than I see in the 1984. Um, let's see. Mind traveler says the use of fictional and fantasy scenarios as a means of child protection makes sense from a Freudian perspective. After all, if repression leads to greater depravity, one could almost consider it a moral imperative to allow pedos outlets for their vice where no child is harmed. However, from a classical Christian point of view, where vices only get stronger the more they're fed, the moral imperative would, of course, be to burn that sick filth wherever you find it. I'm a loyal viewer of the show, so I suppose you know where I stand. Yeah, well, this is that's the classical Christian point of view, that if you feed a vice, it will grow stronger, as you point out, um, just like with anything else. If you feed or fuel anything, then you are, then you are strengthening it. Um, that's the cr- classical Christian point of view. It's also the common sense point of view. It's also a point of view that has a, you know, some, some uh, uh, intuition into the human condition, into how the human mind works. So this is another area, one of many, where the Christian moral intuition is completely vindicated. Uh, so thanks for pointing that out. As you are well aware, everything is more expensive these days. Living is more expensive than it's uh, been for probably any of us in our lifetime, Uh, which means that any opportunity you have to save money, you should take advantage of it, especially when it's as easy as this, the GetUpside app. If you use the GetUpside app, my listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free GetUpside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code Walsh and get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to 50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free. Use promo code Walsh to get up to 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank and then 25 cents a gallon cash back on all the tanks after that. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a month in cash back, and there's no catch. The cash is added to your, your account. It's as simple as that. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. It really is that easy. No reason not to do it. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code Walsh to get up to 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank. That's code Walsh. And also, as the legacy media continues to report their version of the news, our newest podcast, Morning Wire, continues topping the Apple and Spotify charts. And we are continuing our commitment to bringing you the news without a hidden agenda. It's the only daily podcast that values your time and the truth. And while we're working overtime to bring you the news you need to know, we need your help to keep the facts trending towards number one. So subscribe, start listening right now to Morning Wire on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave a five-star review if you like what you hear. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Sunday was another sad day in San Francisco. Two more Walgreens stores closed up shop. Another location will close later this week. These are among a string of closings in the city. 22 Walgreens have closed already due to the effective decriminalization of shoplifting in the state. 
A representative from one of the local Walgreens branches in the city said in a statement to ABC, quote, Due largely to ongoing organized retail theft, we have made the difficult decision to close five stores across San Francisco. Five more stores, anyway. Each store will transfer prescriptions to a nearby Walgreens location within a mile radius. And we expect to place the store's team members in other nearby locations. Organized retail theft continues to be a challenge facing retailers across San Francisco, and we are not immune to that. Retail theft across our San Francisco stores has continued to increase in the past few months to five times our chain average. Now, Walgreens is not the only chain affected. A Safeway location in the city was recently forced to cut its hours due to off-the-charts, quote-unquote, shoplifting. Now, that store had been open 24 hours, but it's just not possible to run a 24-hour operation in a city where theft is legal, you know. We've seen how bad it could be in the middle of the day. Now imagine 3 a.m., how bad it must be. So now that store will close at 9 p.m. each night, which means lots of employees at that location will, we can assume, lose their jobs. A Target store also closed recently for the same reason. And it's not just big chains being slammed either. Every day, it seems, there's another video of somebody walking into a random local store somewhere in the city and walking out with armfuls of merchandise. Here's the latest footage from some boutique shop in uh, in town. We'll, we'll watch this. Okay, so the guy walks in. He gets a nice greeting from the, the woman running the store. Kind of looks around like he's shopping. shopping and uh, he is shopping in a, in a certain way. Yeah, why not grab all the jeans? Just grabs a whole stack of jeans. Most of those won't fit him, but... Yeah, and then, then grabs some other clothes and walks right out. And then you always see the impotent employee walking. After the person has left, the employee shows up in the frame, on the phone. Who are you, who you going to call? The Ghostbusters? There's no one to call here. No, no one's going no to arrest that guy. No one's going to prosecute him. And the cops won't arrest him because he's not going to be prosecuted. And we know this problem is not contained to San Francisco. Similar scenes have unfolded in Chicago, Miami, New York, Los Angeles. All of these cities have cut back on or entirely given up on prosecuting so-called nonviolent criminals, which has given those criminals the green light to do what they do best. Shocking result here. Apparently, when you don't prosecute certain crimes, you get more of those crimes. Now, these videos are generally shared by people who are outraged by what they see. And I understand the outrage. It offends us to see scumbag criminals running amok, doing what they please with no consequence. We want to see them punished. And that is a good and properly ordered desire. It's a desire for justice. And we should desire that. But what we should not feel is any sympathy for the quote-unquote victims here. As mean as it might sound to say it. Now, it's good to feel sympathy um, generally. That's a good instinct to have. But we need to get past that in this case. Because we have to remember that the people of California quite literally asked for this. So, yes, I am victim blaming. Very often, victim blaming is appropriate. Very often, uh, we find that in many types of situations, the victims deserve, the quote unquote victims have a certain amount of the onus falls on them as well. And that is certainly the case here. Because they went to the polls, the people of California did, and they voted on a ballot initiative to effectively decriminalize shoplifting. So this wasn't even a case of voting for some crazy left-wing politician who then goes and put these pol- puts these policies in place. That's the way it's worked in some of these other cities. And there, the citizens are getting what they asked for too. But in California, 
The proposal was on the ballot. They selected it. They chose it. They said, yeah, that sounds good. I want that. They sowed and now they reap. It sounds not only harsh, but perhaps nihilistic to say that we should simply sit back now and let the left-wing cities burn. But uh, it's not nihilistic at all. It's the opposite, really. We are letting people experience the consequences of their own actions. We are letting them discover that their actions matter, their choices matter. And that is not nihilism. We are letting them have what they chose. We are allowing them to take their nice-sounding liberal theories and experience them in reality. They're learning the hard way, because that's the only way they will learn, if they ever do at all. This is one of the reasons why I don't understand the conservatives who were very eager to get a Republican elected as governor in California. It was probably never going to happen, and it probably never will happen at this point. But there are a lot of uh, Republicans. They wanted to get Larry Elder in there. They wanted a Republican. But why should we want that? Why should we want a Republican sitting at the top of this dung heap? Why should we want a Republican overseeing a collapsing system? No, California is a left-wing dystopia. It's everything that happens when leftists are allowed to do as they please. Why should we want a Republican anywhere near that? He can't save California. Why should he try? See, leftism proliferates in part because the people who support its policies and ideas have rarely been allowed to experience them in their fruition. We, 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 have, we have been saving them from themselves. We've been standing in the gap, largely because we have to live in this society too. It's one thing for them to reap their fruits. It's another for us to, to reap them too. But as the sane people flee the dystopian hellscapes like California, there is now finally an opportunity for us to say, okay, have it your way. Do as you please. I wish it didn't have to be this way, but it does. Let them lay in the bed they've made. Let California become everything they want it to be so that maybe they can discover that they never really wanted it at all. I think that's the only way forward now. It's the only way. And that's why I must say that San Francisco and California are, by their own doing, officially canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Ali Hinkle. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on the Ben Shapiro Show, CNN puts out a hit piece on Kamala Harris. The economy should be booming, but it's not. And Americans are noticing. That's today on the Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen. Listen.